Hi, I'm Honey. And I'm Honey. And this is High Tea. With two honeys. And this podcast is a glimpse into the world of two stone showgirls. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of High Tea with Two Honeys. This is your host, Honey Coco Bordeaux. And I'm Honey Sabina, and for this episode, we're going to dive into the glitz and ganja of Hollywood and reefer. Yeah, yeah. So in preparation for this episode, I have been watching a ton of anti-drug movies um, from the 40s and 50s era. Um, And so I wanted to kind of start this episode off. I thought it'd be nice to talk about a little bit of the slang terms that they use. Um, in these films <laughs> um so from the 1920s we have the viper which is one of my favorite um and it was inspired by the hissing intake of smoke that's right i was trying to remember like why viper it's like yeah because it's like yes nice nice i like that and uh, we also had some more 1940s lingo, um, which I think is just so silly. Um, we have uh, <laughs> muggles, which has like a totally different connotation yeah. now. <laughs> Mooter, Mary Warner, Mary Jane, of course, Indian Hay, Loco Weed, Love Weed, Bambalacha. <laughs> Mo- That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Mohaski, moo, muka, grass, tea, or blue sage. And for cigarettes, they call them killers, goof butts, oh, joy smokes, or giggle smokes, or reefers. Oh, my favorite is giggle smokes, I think, because I like to I giggle when I smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so these are for cigarettes or for joints? Those are for joints. They, okay. Yeah, so joints. Weird that, so I didn't know that they, I didn't realize that they called cigarettes reefer. I thought it was just strictly for the cannabis. Well, yeah. I mean, but they're talking about marijuana in a joint form, which oh, I guess I, at, I guess at that time, you know, they would keep them in little cigarette packets and stuff. So it was more of thought of like a rolled cigarette um, than, per, than a doobie per se. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we have our own slang, doobie being one of them. Yes. I don't know what year that, that catalog. <laughs> the catalog of what? Like modern terms? Yes. Oh, gosh. Like, what is it? Like skunk, uh, sticky icky, uh, a doobie, a... Oh, girl, you put me on the spot. <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've ever heard marijuana called? I'm trying to remember something somebody said, and I cannot, of course, because I'm stoner. I can't remember <laughs> what she said. It was like the fu- I've never heard this word before. But she's she's really she's a she's a millennial. She's really young. And I was like, what? You guys have new terms for weed? Like, how old am I? <laughs> Are you not a millennial? No, I am. Well, technically, I'm one year. Uh, so I'm technically, yes, I'm one year in from being a Gen X to millennial, but I don't, I don't. Yeah. Like, I'm an, I'm an old millennial. That's yeah, <laughs> I relate to that. Like, yeah, that's, 
That's very strange for me. <laughs> I have the soul of a Gen Xer, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I used to. Yeah. I used to deal with a. Fr- I used to have a friend that used to always call them skateboards. That, that was that was what he had made up was his his oh was he trying his, to make it like yeah it, like he was trying to make it <laughs> yes <laughs> like he was trying to make fetch happen he was trying to make <laughs> he was trying to make skateboards happen but they weren't happening because skateboards is already a thing <laughs> i'm trying to make skateboards happen <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so I guess let's start off um, by talking. I mean, I guess we're going to we're gonna go old to new when we talk about uh, Hollyweed. So, um, again, like so many celebrities over time have been arrested for the possession of marijuana. Like the list is pretty darn long. Um, and one of the famous trials um from the 40s was actually of robert mitchum and leela leeds um which again because i'm an old millennial um, and i know there might be some other millennials listening that don't know who robert mitchum is um, uh, but he was the star of uh cape cape fear right yes yeah, so go look that movie up and watch it. It's, it's an oldie, <laughs> but goodie. Um, but yeah, so in August 31st of 1948, Mitchum and his friend Robin Ford went to visit Leela and her roommate, dancer Vicki Evans, which I tried to do some research on Vicki Evans and find out if she was a burlesque dancer, because every time I see, like, dancer, I just assume they're a stripper. And so, Let me ask you something. Was Vicki Evans the one that snitched on them and let the cops in? Yes. Ah, yeah. Now, Vicky Evans says Vicky Evans also said though that they were set up, and that's what Leela Leela said that Vicky was an informant and set them up. So, on that evening at their apartment in Los Angeles, there were two officers, A. M. Barr and J. B. McKinnon, um, who had been hiding in the yard, and they had apparently been conducting surveillance of them for eight months for uh, members of the film industry. Jeez. Now, I googled AMVAR and Jamie McKinnon because a part of me was like, oh my god, what if this AMVAR dude is related to Bill Barr? That would be oh. fucking awesome. But that's not the case. No. However, <laughs> what I did find about AMVAR and Jamie McKinnon is that they spent 1948 and 1949 pretty much just setting people up for drug busts. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, I mean, I found one account of them where they busted someone for heroin, and they basically, on the police report, they said that they knocked on the door, no one answered, so they opened the door with a key. Now, where you get a key from? Yeah. <laughs> they go inside, search through the apartment where he claims he finds this little jar with a little cuff button snap that opens it. He opens it. He finds a newspaper. He unwraps the newspaper and inside the newspaper, he finds a little baggie of a brown substance. So he closes it all back. They go outside and they wait for this person to come home. 
and bust him. He also says that he asked this man if he thought that they set him up. (laughs) And he Uh, said that the man responded, no, I do not think that you would have set me up. Oh my God. Like that is such a setup. Yes. (laughs) I have a key to your house and I'm going to hide it in this impossible way. And I knew directly where to find it. (laughs) Exactly. And, and, and the thing is the man was in his, was in his apartment for five minutes before they busted him. And they claimed that the cuff that was holding the the little case together was undone. So that was their proof. (laughs) That and there was like a little bit of brown spa- stain on the newspaper from before, and so that was their proof that he had used heroin. <laughs> That's unreal, yeah. but like not surprising at all. Yeah, no, not at all. And especially like we think we're talking about 1948 here. Um, yeah, but you know, still 2020, that shit still happens. Yes, no, totally. Um, but yeah, so they both get arrested. They end up both doing 60 days in jail and they get two years of probation. Um, Mitchum is transferred um, to an honor farm in Castaic only like shortly into his term. And then he's released early um, where he responds saying that uh, it was like a weekend in Palm Springs. Oh, wow. <laughs> balls on the sky. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course. Privilege. Yes, like for real. Um, of course, Leela Leeds did not fare as well as Mitchum. Um, she was a 20-year-old Lana Turner lookalike, and uh, she actually had appeared in the film Green Dolphin, which was actually, like, the vehicle that, like, launched Lana Turner's career. Um, um, and she was also engaged to Lana Turner's ex-husband, Stephen Crane, read that, yeah. at the time of the arrest. And he, like, fleed to Europe... <laughs> so he could yeah. like avoid the scandal. I read something crazy about that. That um, Crane and Turner had a girl, a, like a child named Cheryl, and she became infamous after she stabbed and killed Turner's mobster boyfriend to defend her mother at age fifteen. Like, what yes, was that. Yes, yes. Like, yeah. how was that? Just like a brief mention. <laughs> like, what? I know, right. <laughs> Well, and then, so he flees to Europe where he starts a gossip column and basically <laughs> talks about Mitchum and Leeds' arrest in, oh this, my in, this, God. Goss- in this gossip column. Um, and basically talks about, you know, like that basically all of these celebrities in Hollywood are doing smoking weed. Um, and if they came to Paris, you know, they could get some, some weed there as well. <laughs> but yeah, how messed up is that? Like, <laughs> super snitch. But yeah, so her career basically like tanked after that. She yeah. did one other film that was like an anti-drug film called She Should Have Said No. Um, and after that, she became so destitute that at one point she hawked a three-carat diamond ring that Stephen had given her yeah. for $750. Um, and she worked, ended up working as a faith healer for addicts in Hollywood. Um, wow. Whereas he basically saw no pretty much repercussions for his actions. Yeah. If anything, he, he kind of became uh, like this symbol of like, that it's a middle class, that it's okay to smoke. Here was this, like, 
celebrity that people looked up to and thought of him as like more of like a cool guy and the fact that he smoked like made him cooler um where she basically had her career ended um so of course you know he's a white man in the 1940s of course he's gonna be fine with it like she so i read briefly they also like briefly mentioned that uh she said she had been introduced to heroin by inma- inmates at the LA County jail and it led to an addiction for her. Yes. Yes. That was actually one of the things that her ex-husband wrote in that gossip column about her was that she was introduced to, um, to heroin. So the um, crazy thing that, so I don't know if it's ironic or just really sad is it seemed like her life ended up being kind of parallel to those propaganda films like you know they were so ridiculous about the consequences of smoking weed where she ended up she really did end up being addicted to heroin and then destitute and broke and just so far removed from where she started like i'm not saying that that's that's the moral of the story i'm just saying how sad that her life ended that way yes no totally totally um and they also um okay so which so many I, so many different celebrities kind of got caught up in the whole Mickey Cohen activities of that era. <laughs> and so Leeds and Evans were both actually, um, Evans was accused of being a police informer, um, but also it was brought up that um, Leeds' former agent was convicted on grand theft charges. And he actually testified during Mickey, the gangster Mickey Cohen's case wow. and said that she was part, that her and Evans, the dancer Evans, were part of a big time sex and exhaustion crime ring with Cohen. What? Which is like another thing that basically also kind of tanked her career as well. Um, Oh, wow. That, that's so, like, of course, anything to do with a woman doing anything other than bearing children and cleaning the house, like, how dare she be sexual and smoke a little pot? Exactly, exactly. No, totally, totally sad. Um, and, you know, after reading this, I totally, I went and I looked up, she should have said no, because I had not seen that film before. I hadn't even heard of it. Um, and it's actually on YouTube. So... Mm-hmm our listeners they can watch it we can we'll add it to the show notes um wow. if you want to watch it it's uh interesting <laughs> to say the least world of dark shadows some of them dwell in the darkest of these shadows is marijuana, marijuana. yeah i mean it, it became just like you know reefer madness it became just one of those cult films just watch not because it had like an interesting moral but because it's just so ludicrous yes no totally i mean it's so outlandish just just ridiculously outlandish i mean she's a dancer of course (laughs) (laughs) like all the bad girls yes she's a dancer uh, she's trying to pay to send her brother to college and she's working as a dancer in this seedy nightclub um, where there's a drug da- dealer named Mickey or Mackie, Marky, Marky. Marky. <laughs> Marky. <laughs> Marky. <laughs> call it Marky Mark. Right? For real. Feel it, feel it. Feel the vibration. But anyway, 
who is like apparently he's like the drug dealer for the whole entire city um because he shows wow. up he shows up literally everywhere um he apparently lurks in the backstages of theaters he occasionally is at a diner sometimes okay, he pops out of a telephone booth <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I mean, throughout this movie, everyone seems to know Marky. He is literally dealing drugs for the whole entire city. Um, how he's he's everywhere. He's he, just, just, just just magically appearing the whole, yeah, with the weed. Has the whole market cornered. Yes, yes. Um, and they the film actually starts off where they show these teenagers who actually buy some weed for Marky and they go out and they're partying and they're like at that one point they're actually dancing in a car while the car is driving. <laughs> Wait, I love that they call this party a tea party. Yes. Yes. I love it. It's like so fitting to our to our show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but yeah, so these teenagers are dancing in a car <laughs> and they of course crash because you cannot drive a car and dance um there has nothing to do with weed um, <laughs> but you, literally logistically you cannot drive a car and crash um and the weird thing about that is that the mother comes to discover one of the girls and she's dead but she's also missing part of her body like her legs are missing which i don't understand why it needed to be included in the film and what that had to do with anything oh, for the extra horror just like when they made us watch those like drinking and driving videos in high school just yeah, trauma i guess so i mean but wasn't it bad enough that she was dead i mean it's i mean no, let's take away her limbs. after you're dead what else is like doesn't really matter but, but anyways so going back to Anne, who is Leeds' character, um, she, of course, has, like, a homegirl who is friends with Marky. They have a party. She gets invited over, um, and they peer pressure her into trying weed, of course, because that's how it always happens. Um, and she literally takes, like, 50 hits of joint <laughs> in a row, like, just puff, 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 like, like, just just crazy like she's just just chiefing like <laughs> and of course she just goes insane and i don't know what type of weed these people are smoking it's lace of crack because <laughs> everyone is just going crazy they're just dancing and yelling and just super hyper there's a man who's like punching his hands through the windows and his hands like are bleeding so, like, it just goes to show you that whoever directed that just has absolutely no idea what we does. Like, after 50 hits, like, you're comatose. Yes. Like, no. There's, no. there's no being hyper or jumping or punching walls when you're stoned. Yes. Yes. And the thing is, he so he punches the windows out. He's all bleeding. And everybody just gives him a joint and makes him smoke. totally totally not realistic at all um just super outlandish but anyway so of course Leeds gets caught up she's trying to still work at the club and make the money for her brother and of course Marky tells her that like he has a way that she can make some extra cash um Mm -hmm. I think she even actually gets fired from from the club for the drugs 
and then I think her truck, the club owner, actually kind of snitches on her. <laughs> All these snitches, man. right? So anyway, she actually, in the end of the movie, turns and she snitches on Marky. It gets Marky arrested. She realizes the error of her ways, and she decides to work with the cops. Um, wow! And, yes, and uh, and gets Marky um, busted. <laughs> This is terrible. It's like so inaccurate what weed does to you. And the moral of the story is be a snitch. Yes, pretty much. In yourself. Pretty much, yes. Smoke, smoke weed incorrectly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it'll do things to your body that it actually won't. Um, <laughs> tell on your friends. And yeah, tell on your friends afterwards. Um, so, yeah. Damn. That's wild. So, I was... After reading about all these crazy films and the misconceptions about them, I was wondering, I was like, well, before I smoked weed or you smoked weed, like, did you have any crazy misconceptions about it? Were you nervous about it when you tried it? Were you, did you think something weird was going to happen to you? Um, I mean, no, I guess not. I guess like my parents have always been okay with it. So it was something that wasn't like, I guess taboo or I mean I wouldn't say like my parents like never encouraged me to smoke or anything I mean my mom was always like if you decide to smoke for the first time you should like smoke with me so oh, your mom's cool <laughs> so I can like make sure you don't like trip out or anything which I mean I've never had happen but <laughs> thankfully yeah. well clearly the people in this movie tripped out it's probably what she was referring to yeah I mean I was I would say for for a very long time I was really naive about marijuana in general like i would have i had been around people who smoked but did not realize that they smoked at all like i just didn't have any knowledge of it um i smoked for the first time probably when i was like 15 or 16 like the guy i was dating his best friend was my next door neighbor and we like chiefed out in our connecting driveway and all i remember is they kept saying i was talking too loud <laughs> <laughs> and I just kept laughing and talking a lot and they just kept going shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah that still happens to me <laughs> and then I have the internal monologue of like am I am I talking too loud is right. it weird am I right. weird? <laughs> <laughs> so you start whispering but you're like loud whispering <laughs> <laughs> which is even weirder is this better mom like I I totally had crazy misconceptions because my parents I, my grandmother raised me because my parents they had a lot of a lot of drug issues so I was raised with like you know it'll ruin your life you know if you smoke you know the marijuana the cannabis the reefer you're going to become an addict and you're going to ruin your life and you're going to end up on the streets and it makes you crazy like i was told that my whole life so um when i was a really young kid i was really afraid of it but when i was a teenager i smoked it for the first time with my older brother um at my bus stop before going to school and i was like this is awesome <laughs> like what like this is this is insanely fun and chill and it makes my day better at school because i mean i don't know if this is 
probably not great for developing brains to be smoking weed. But for high school and junior high are one of the most stressful, most traumatic moments in, you know, growing up. So smoking weed was definitely something that made it a lot easier for me. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, I actually, I was thinking about that. And I, one time I did actually got caught at a friend's house um, she decided to have a party while I was spending the night with her. And it, of course, because when you decide to have just parties randomly, they never just become a small party. It always becomes a bigger party. Oh, yes. So turn into just this crazy party. Her mom showed up early from the trip that she went on. Oh, and like, it's like a movie. <laughs> yes, like opened her garage to like people just like pouring out of the garage while like her car is like coming in and like oh, jumping no. out the window and like just all kinds of craziness. And so, of course, some people have been smoking. And my mom actually was out of town at a conference. So my grandmother had to come pick me up. And she was so upset and she just started crying because oh, she was thinking no. about me smoking marijuana. <laughs> I was like, not, not the grandma disappointment. I know, which, which is like, I wasn't at the time. I was just, just happened to just spend the night at the wrong time. <laughs> In this 1990s like house party movie. That right? No, yes. But I just remember her. Which that saying that and like trying not to like laugh because I thought I was so like, oh Lord, why is she? Oh, why is she crying about the? the My marijuana? grandma was the same way. Like, well, anytime she caught us doing any kind of drugs, dude, she would just she would wail and curse the gods. And then, I mean, I'm not gonna get into this story because it's it's a long story and it's about uh, LSD and not weed, but. <laughs> She ended up exorcising me. Like, she thought I was possessed. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> and that was the second time in my life that I had been exorcised. So that's oh, shit. Okay. We'll talk about that our next episode. We'll um, yeah. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, my family had wild misconceptions about, about cannabis. Like, yeah, just totally... And this, and still, and still, um, that part of my family is very conservative when it comes to to drugs. They're all alcoholics, but oh, God of course, you smoke a little. Yeah, more. well, and like that same grandmother, actually, she worked for a doctor for many years who had a cannabis plant that she watered. Oh, that's right. All the time, <laughs> she yeah, didn't know that's what it was <laughs> until until like many years later after she stopped working for him. She was like, oh. That's what I was watering. Interesting. That's precious. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> precious, precious angel. Yes, she is a precious angel. That is totally right. <laughs> so one of the so the movie that I had researched a little bit um, was Reefer Madness, which had a, a ton of different names uh, depending on what state or country it was being played. But here in America, we know it as as a reefer madness. And uh, I love that one of the taglines was weird orgies, wild parties, roots in hell. <laughs> like, oh yeah, sign <laughs> But like, you know, I'm like, well, how did this even happen? Like, where did these propaganda films um, come up? Like, because, you know, it was a pretty new idea in the 30s that 
you know, cannabis was, was something negative because yeah. people were using it medicinally, you know, forever. And so I did a little research and, um, of course, came that uh, Mr. Anslinger was behind it all. So Reefer Madness is an exploitation film from the 30s. Um, and it basically helped lay the foundation for misinformation for the next 80 years of American culture that we are still trying to get away from. Um, it was, you know, put together by Washington, Hollywood and mainstream media to demonize uh, cannabis through propaganda. And the movie is just like she should have said no is just outlandish. Uh, there's a hit and run accident. There's always like some kind of vehicle accident. <laughs> that seems to happen. Yeah. There's a, a near rape, a shooting, a suicide, an incurable insanity. And they all fall prey to what the film calls public enemy number one. Um, while uh, Reefer Madness and similar films like She Should Have Said No were not actually produced by the government, uh, they did help reinforce the propaganda that Harry Anslinger had, had started. Um, he, along with um, the Yellow Press, became a nationwide campaign against cannabis. So, of course, uh, to take advantage, the filmmakers at the time were like, hey, this is a cash grab, you know, it's a great opportunity to make a film with the veneer of morality when we're just trying to like push sex drugs and, you know, rock and roll into this movie, but we're gonna call it like, you know, a don't do drugs Perfect. movie. Yeah. yeah. So who was this fucking guy? <laughs> So, Anslinger was a United States government official who served as the commissioner for the U.S. Treasury Department of Narcotics from uh, 1930 to fucking 1962. This guy, Shit. yeah, he ruined <laughs> he ruined so many lives yes. for thirty something years. Um, the really weird thing is that. Prior to the end of alcohol prohibition, Anslinger had claimed that cannabis was not a problem and it did not harm people. So his cri critics argue that he shifted not because of the objective evidence, but self-interest, because uh, the Department of Prohibition had ceased, you know, prohibition yeah. had ended. So basically this guy was just creating a job for himself. <laughs> That's it. That's what happened. Yeah. This guy was like, no, I still need to be relevant and I still need to like, you know, I still a need job. a job. So let's find something else that we can <laughs> prohibit. <Yeah. laughs> That's it. That's what happened. That's why thousands of people are in prison. That's why uh, we, of course, live in a... Uh, non-legal states of course we don't do that but that's why you know we can't enjoy it because of this fucking asshole so he collected dubious anecdotes of, of marijuana causing crime and violence and ignored the contrary evidence that was being pushed we, they were tell him no like there is absolutely no evidence of people committing violent crimes uh on this drug so because he was uh, using the mass media and being supported by yellow journalism publisher William Randolph Hearst, which we all know about. Uh, he propelled the anti, you know what, this, I don't want to keep saying marijuana because I, uh, at the end of this, I'm going to say why we shouldn't be using that word, but <laughs> cannabis weed, whatever. Um, he, he propelled this movement to, to a national level to the point where uh, we had all these films at the time and, um, a lot of laws were made because of this. 
And of course, the main thing that he capitalized on to make sure that the public was afraid of this drug was racism. Yeah. Um, yep. So he would, th- these, these quotes, oh man, I had to like edit some of these quotes because like, I, I don't even feel comfortable saying some of these things. But, you know, one of the things he, he was quoted saying was, uh, colored students at the University of Minnesota partying with white female students, smoking marijuana and getting their sympathy with stories of racial persecution. The result, pregnancy. Oh, my God. That is so loaded on, like, so many levels. <laughs> so, and, and there is another one that said, uh, you know, oh God, I even hate saying this word, um, you know, Smoking weed makes darkies feel like they're better than the white man. And I'm like, Jesus. Like, he was considered extremely racist even for the time. Yeah. He was racist for the 1930s. (laughs) Which is pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. And he targeted Billie Holiday for singing Strange Fruit and uh, threatened her and and kept her from performing that in many places. Oh, my God. Yeah, just ruining, you know, music history. And, uh, yeah, targeting minorities, especially black Americans, with drug charges, harassment. And it was all part of a strategy to justify the existence and the budget of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Um, And then his main weapon uh, was also inciting fear of Mexicans. Um, he emphasized that the Spanish word be used, marijuana, instead of cannabis. So there's a strong association between the drug and the newly arrived Mexican immigrants who um, helped popularize it in the United States. So you're welcome, America, that my people popularized <laughs> for you. For you. <laughs> so because of the negative connotations, um, of marijuana, like trying to associate it, you know, to a Mexican word equals, you know, bad people. Um, I try not to use it as much, but it does kind of slip in there, here and there. So, yeah, so that is why um, this happened. Like, had he not, he basically created this department to give himself a job. Had that not happened, who knows where we would be as far as, um, you know, let alone the the fun use of cannabis, but the medicinal possibilities of it. Yes, and we wouldn't have a prison system filled with black and brown bodies. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, just modern. Serving bodies. time for nine violent offenses. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's where all those propaganda films come from. They were just cash grabs of you know the trend of. Uh, the fear of cannabis of the time. It's so crazy. Well, and I mean, it really just, and it also seems like just as as time went on, marijuana just became one of those things that like just kept getting associated with whatever whatever propaganda was happening at the time, whether it was communism or racism yes. or anything else. Jazz. Like, yes, exactly. You <laughs> try to steal jazz from history. <laughs> and now we, we don't even, we're like, man, jazz is just like such a chill, like, music. Right? It was, I just can't even fathom the, just anything new that young people do. I mean, we do it every generation, you know, we try to demonize it and make it scary, but there's like some real long-term consequences for generations. Yeah. Just out of fear and ignorance, man. Yeah, totally. Uh, 
Boo. Boo. Yeah, so we don't like that guy. Yeah, we don't like him at all. And also think about when you use the word marijuana. I mean, no one's going to get mad at you if you use it, but it's just something to be aware of. Yeah, well, and it's just, I mean, it's just nice to know the context of, like, where it comes from and, and the history behind it. I think, I think we're learning and continuing to learn that, unfortunately, a lot of our English language <laughs> has, has terms that don't come from great backgrounds. Yeah, and I mean, and, and you open the show with a list of, of great alternatives if you don't want to call it weed. I mean, you can open Yeah, skateboards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to call them fetch from now on. <laughs> I mean, fetch almost sounds better, honestly. <laughs> fetch cigarettes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, seriously, let's let's let's, let's make fetch that. a thing. How retro of us! I know. <laughs> let's go back to two thousand and four, whenever that. Oh god! Like almost twenty years ago, I can't even believe it. That's oh, we're aging ourselves. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, speaking of, you know, all those people <laughs> Well, I mean just all of those all of the lives that have been ruined because of, you know, the criminalization of of cannabis and and celebrities who have had their lives ruined because of yeah. you know cannabis and um you know we are burlesque dancers so i did want to mention candy bar um, yep, yep. our own little texas burlesque dancer um who was convicted twice for possession she was convicted the first time for 15 years for having i think it was four fifths of an ounce that was oh inside God. of her bra. Oh my God! <laughs> of course it was. Of course they found it in her bra. Yes. Yes. Sure yeah. Frisked her. Of course. Thoroughly. Um, and actually, they like later she was actually um, uh, acquitted of the charges, but then again that same year she ended up being arrested in Brownsville for possession. Um, I think after her, it was while her, her father, I think, was dying and she went home to visit and was arrested. And I mean, she claimed that she was set up, which wouldn't honestly be surprising. I mean, she felt like after the first conviction, they just targeted her. Um, what, was, what, was, what was the government doing? Like, how much money did they have left over that they can just like monitor these people and just hoping to catch them or, or entrap them? Well, I mean, again, like, I mean, just talking about, like, those two, that are two detectives from earlier. I mean, like, literally, that is all of the, all that they did. That was their job. <laughs> in, in the Anslinger world, they were like, this is, this is the detective that I'm going to be yeah. in. All, all my job is just going to be is setting people up. and Just finding ways to justify this shit. Yeah. Trying to keep the job, man. Yes. And, and I mean... Candy Barr, if you haven't read her biography, I recommend it to everybody. She had such a hard life um, as a dancer. I mean, just exploited on on all kinds of levels. Um, and then to have like that kind of also yeah. happen to her as well. All our legends have 
I would not, I want to say all of them, but most of our legends have had an incredible, difficult life, just in general, just them as, as, you know, women growing up and, and their time. But as performers, like you said, the, the exploitation, the abuse, the, you know, we look up to them now and we admire them, but I can't imagine the life that they had to leave. Like how strong they must have been and how difficult it was for them. Oh, totally. I mean, a way for us to keep doing this. Oh, yeah. So totally. I mean, I think, you know, you look back and you think it's so glamorous and whatnot, but like Candy Bar was like 16, you know, like, could you imagine being a 16 year old, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You and mean the circuit? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was a very, a very hard life for a lot of these, these women that we, we glamorize and we glorify, um, you know, definitely yeah, we are very lucky to story. be in the position that we are in today where this is something that like some of us do just for joy, for the joy of doing it, you know, that we're not doing it because we were forced to do it, which I mean, in candy, candy bar was pretty much forced into sex work. Um, she was kidnapped <laughs> and made a prostitute. So she didn't really have any other choice, you know, whereas like we're in a position where like, you know, some of us do do sex work because we need to, but there are some of us that also just choose to do sex work. And I think, oh, yeah, it's, it, it's, we owe them. That's why, I mean, we, we do hold them in such high regard in our community because for the most part, we are aware of the difficulties and, and what they've, they've done for us to facilitate uh, that now, at least in, in our community, most productions are, you know, created by women who are mm -hmm. surrounded mostly by women and any shenanigans or shady stuff that happens we are pretty quick to to get rid of them yeah like we don't we we we, we, we don't need that shit so they didn't have that option you know it's it's heartbreaking yeah i mean i i've heard stories of legends like literally talking about like marching down to the courthouse all of them while like a club owner was getting you know indicted for something else and them all going down and like basically beating up a man to get all their money you know like just having to do crazy things to like to get by so yeah i mean that's one of the things i love about being a burlesque performer is the the legends aspect of things and like the reverence we have for them and the fact that like um they're still very revered and you know we the community really does care for them they're not just yeah no they're living they're living goddesses yeah you know i mean because yeah. i think i think especially coming from a dance background where a lot of time it's like oh well you're like 25 and you've aged out and like <laughs> no more dancing for you you know and like that's not the case here you know it's okay, that's one of my favorite things about about burlesque is that you you don't age out i mean these these uh women uh, continue performing until they can't i mean so many of them get on stage in their wheelchair yeah and their walkers they get yeah. helped on stage like and and it doesn't you know we love it it's still amazing to see i mean it is one of the only art forms which is celebrated uh, regardless of your age. And oh, your totally. And, yeah. Um, yeah, not, not so much mainstream um, beauty, if you want to call it that, but there is a, a special kind of beauty watching these people perform and still do 
do their art and they're so talented like there was no really like space to be a mediocre performer back then these women were multi-talented and brought back such different ways of performing like so edgy and they would use i'm gonna use a saxophone and you know dance with this snake at the same time while a tap dance on the wall yes well i mean you had to i mean you had to be able to stand out and like have a gimmick and like really make a name for yourself and like that's what they did um you know i mean i think the one thing that's great about watching the legends i feel like for me has just been i guess kind of how like your sexuality evolves as you age and i feel like some of these women are so like in control of their sensuality and sexuality even more so than they were like as young dancers and like you see that on stage and some of them are just just dripping in sensuality and sexiness in their 70s and 80s you know and that's i feel like so inspiring that like age is just a number and you continue to be a sexual being and you continue to you know to be entertaining um and you know you can continue to do what you love and it's yeah it's something that i think is really special about our community i love that and somebody somebody had asked me before like how come there i I, they didn't notice that there was a lot of um 20-somethings or or younger performers that it's not really very common in burlesque and i'm like yeah like you don't i mean it's you don't know who the fuck you are before you're 30. (laughs) (laughs) like exactly it's like to be in a a, a truly and i'm not i'm not taking away i mean young women have (laughs) i hate saying young women because i'm obviously an old woman But they obviously have, you know, sex appeal. Yeah. Outwardly, their their innocence, their excitement. There's a lot of things that, it, that that's very sexy and attractive about younger women. But as far as burlesque and performing and em- emitting this energy, I feel like it does take a lot of life experience to get to know who you are and what you're about and then understand that well enough that you can that it comes across on st- in three to five minutes on stage. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, as someone who started dancing in their 20s um, yeah. and is now in their 30s, <laughs> I will say that, like, definitely, like, I, one of the things that used to always, I guess, upset me when I was a younger performer was that I always wanted to be, like, elegant and, like, regal. And, like, I don't know, I would see these performers and they just had this, like... I don't know, this elegance and regalness and uh, like they were just queens, you know, and I felt like, yeah. and I was always like cutesy and like, I don't know, like I, <laughs> I, I never felt like I could, I, I encompassed that. And I, and it's something that I realized like literally has to do with just age, you know, like yeah. there's just a grace that comes with experience and age and like that it's not so much about like, I don't know. I think as a younger performer, I was just so much about like trying to show like every skill that I have and like everything is like super provocative and like now I think um, everything, I think things are a little more nuanced um, than than they were then. Um, 
and I, I definitely think I've I've grown as a performer. I hope that I'm a little more graceful and elegant than I was. <laughs> then. Oh, yeah, what you say? That's funny that you say that you you see these women and you wish that you were regal and elegant. I was like, you exude that on stage. Like when I see you perform, I'm just like in awe of just. Yeah, you look like a queen. You look exactly Aww. like yeah. You you are breathtaking. Like oh my gosh, and and you're right. It absolutely comes with experience. I mean, I'm still. I mean, we're still learning. There, I'm definitely learning. But I have learned what you said, nuance. That you know, I've learned to really take my time, and it's not about showing off everything. And you can, you can, you can throw all your skills on the stage too for an act, and that's fun too. Yeah. Uh, there's so much more that comes. That, that that's the art of the tease, and and a lot of people don't understand it until they do it. But it is, it is a very special art form. And it takes well, and like some some of my favorite numbers from artists are like some of their more simple numbers, you know, where there's not a lot of dancing or there's not a lot of ton of glitzy costuming or whatever. But there's something that they're putting out there on this stage the energy and uh, you know the the movements and the time that they're putting into the piece something about it just translates in a, in a different way um that speaks to me um so yeah i think definitely it's learning <laughs> it takes it takes some time and experience that's one thing i i try to tell like students when i teach them is that like you have to be patient with yourself because honestly some of it is just experience and like that is not something that you you can have all the money in the world and you can't buy that <laughs> like you just can't <laughs> no, you're so right like it's just it's such a um it's such a wonderful art form and exactly and if i feel like i've learned so much at my age that i can't imagine you know 30 years from now if i continue doing this just like the legends like man i i hope i'm I'm still learning and I'm still exuding this energy and this sensuality and, you know, hypnotizing people and inviting them to yes. experience this. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. God bless our legends. Yes. For real. God bless them all. We, we have, we're losing a lot of them and yeah. oh, we're, there are very few that are left from that, that golden era, but thankful for the ones we have. Yes, absolutely. I wish I wish that I knew more about our Texas legends. I feel like I feel like there's uncovered Texas legends that need to be found. Well, maybe we can we can research that and see how we can weave it into our podcast. <laughs> I'm sure a lot I'm on the lookout. <laughs> like I, I'm just I'm just like going to old folks' homes being like, Hey girl. <laughs> Did you used Did to be you a know, dancer? So, <laughs> not, not specifically like burlesque performers, but like at least my, when I was um, an exotic dancer, uh, my house mom was a, a Native American stripper in the 70s and 80s in Dallas. And she oh, wow. had some banana stories to tell. Oh, I'm she, sure. She was a wonderful, wonderful house mom, as they all are, because yes, you know what you're going, going through. through. But, but yeah, she would sometimes like, lose her lose her shit on some of the girls that would complain about 
you know, how good we have it. And she's like, you don't understand what it's like to literally have to dance on a slippery bar while people have their hands up your crotch. She's like, you have no idea what it's like to be robbed by, by your house manager. You have no idea what it's like to be assaulted. Like just these crazy stories. And yeah, I can't imagine what it was like in that time. No, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even in that industry, uh, we have it pretty fucking good. I think I think most of those women are pretty tough. I think you oh, had to be. Yeah. I think you, you you couldn't be someone that took shit. There was no room for that. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't make it. No. You wouldn't just like our legends, there's no way they would have made it to today had they been somebody that people could walk over. Yeah. You know, totally. Fight over and over again. Yeah. Bad bitches. Yeah, that is the truth. Gosh, well, I guess we've come to that time where we do our high ideas. So this was an idea that I had a few weeks back. Um, it's the holidays. So I've been baking up a storm, just making all kinds of cookies and cakes and things that I shouldn't be eating. Yeah, um <laughs> And of course, I feel like we're just being inundated with like baking shows and oh, yeah. all kinds of like advertising. And so I saw there was a Pillsbury commercial on for, um, you know, their cinnamon rolls. And it made me think that like Pillsbury Doughboy has been around for a long time. Like he's a pretty, he's pretty much like a staple as far as like an advertising character. But I think that he could use a sidekick. Enter Pillsbury Doe Cat. Pillsbury <laughs> Doe Cat is just a little fat, chunky cat. He just looks like the Pillsbury Doe Boy, but is a cat. And when you poke him, he goes, <laughs> and then he giggles like the Pillsbury Doe Boy. <laughs> and he just, he's there and he's like, Meow. You know, that's a stoner idea if I ever heard it, but... You know that everyone loves chonky cats. Exactly, right? Right. There's I mean, no way that wouldn't go over really well. He's spent all this year just like all these years by himself letting random strangers poke his belly. He needs he needs a friend. And I feel like the cat is low maintenance. He's made of dough. He's chunky. He likes to giggle. He likes to have his belly pushed. He'll <laughs> he'll even paw his little belly. Oh my god. And I think I think it's a thing. So Pillsbury, feel free to hit me up and pay me for this idea. I don't want to see Pillsbury Doe Cat on a commercial because I will come <laughs> for y'all. And not get my royalties. <laughs> exactly. I know. I will know that you have listened to our podcast. How could you not? Like <laughs> specific like the chonky pillsbury cat <laughs> pillsbury doe cat it's pillsbury a thing coming to a cupboard near you I love meow it. <laughs> 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 meow meow <laughs> i love it oh my god You've uh, you've blown any high idea I could have had out of the water. <laughs> I'm speechless. See, yeah, this so is like people should pay me for this. This exactly. feels <laughs> very. Pay I'm, me to get high and have these wonderful. Yeah, you can ideas. hire me, and I will I will rebrand you. <laughs> I still think my edible 
poncho. Well, you made it into a poncho. I had it. See, yeah, you, you are good at this. My idea was a blanket and you're like, no, no, make it into a poncho. So you're not sitting on it. And I'm like, damn. I just, you know, I'm a, I'll, let me upgrade you. Okay. Pillsbury, <laughs> 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 let me upgrade you. <laughs> So if any of our listeners have their ideas, we we'll promise we won't steal them. We won't. We want to share them. Yeah, um, yeah. Send them where, to us. Where can they send them to, honey? They can submit them on our website at highteapod.com. Nice. Yes. You can also go to highteapod.com. Check out our notes from this show. I'll throw up a link to the She Should Have Said No if y'all want to watch that and think of why she should have said yes <laughs> and yeah send us your high ideas we'd love to hear them i'm sure you have them and i'm sure they're wonderful and worthy of having pillsbury send you money for them, <laughs> share them with us. Yeah, you are definitely worthy <laughs> gosh that wraps up our second episode of Hollywood and Reefer Madness. I feel like we could just talk about this subject forever. There's, There's so, so much. much. <laughs> Maybe we'll do an episode two, Hollywood yeah. part two. I really have to like <laughs> summarize it because there's just so much information. Yes, totally, totally. But yeah, so visit highteapod.com. Check out our episodes on all the places that you subscribe to podcasts. Send us your high ideas. Um, you can feel free if you have any ideas for, you know, upcoming topics that you would like to hear or suggestions for us. We are oh, open. Yes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Um, we're also currently looking for sponsors. So if you have a product that you think our audience would like, we'd love to uh, get it out to our listeners and promote your products. So hit us up, highteapod.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at uh, high tea with two honeys. Yeah. See our, our beautiful faces. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, until next time. Stay high. <laughs> <laughs> tried to do it together like a hoo-hoo and a meow-meow and it didn't work out. <laughs> oh, 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 God. Uh, uh, I mean, I love it. Do you love it <laughs> uh, uh, bye, guys. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Say hi. <laughs>